0: I came across an Andy Stanley sermon here recently that I missed this past summer over the George Floyd killing and Andy Stanley's wokeness and how he's going to parlay all this into you. Well, just take a look at it. This is Matthew Garnett. Welcome to In Layman's
1: Story. It is not enough not to be a racist. Non racist is not the goal. Being non racist does nothing to address racism practically speaking, it amounts to indifference toward racism. If you're a Jesus follower, if you're a Jesus follower, you must be, we must be anti-racism.
0: And I think it's better than the way- Okay, so like I said, we're going to take a look at an Andy Stanley sermon. We haven't uh, covered Annie Stanley in some time. He's always interesting, but kind of boring at the same time. He kind of go, goes over the same themes and that sort of thing. But it may be time, you know, uh, in the span of his church for for them to get woke. Uh, it's hard for me to get my mind around this, that you would em- embrace something. You, know, the, you see the winds of change coming with, with culture and so on and so forth. And you've got to embrace it because you've got to promulgate the gospel at best. And and if anything else, you've got to help to have your church stay alive at at worst. I'm not entirely sure what's going on here. But before we get to all that, let me remind you uh, to go to laymanstermsradio.org and donate to the Men of Steel Project. We're about a third of the way uh, to getting to uh, our funding for this uh, that's going to be matched by a generous donor. Uh, in order to hire a consultant that's going to give us a business plan, um, help us to write grants, this sort of thing that we could, that we might be able to get this thing off the ground. The idea is uh, we're going to train uh, ex-felons, ex-cons, uh, former prisoners, whatever you, however you want to label them, uh, to drive trucks. And I've got it on good authority that a lot of these guys want to work. They just need a chance. A lot of these guys want to work. They just need a chance. A lot of these guys don't want to work and don't deserve a chance. Sometimes that's how it goes too, Uh, but in a lot of cases, I I really think that there's an untapped resource here um, in the United States, especially uh, with the truck driver shortage. I think I could build a viable trucking company uh, with with ex-cons, and that's what I want to give a shot to, and not only is it going to help me build a big company, make a bunch of money, like the capitalist pig that I am, (laughs) but... Uh, but I'm going to give these guys a second chance. And uh, and I think that a lot of them, that's what they're looking for. So we're going to give it a shot. Um, we're, we're, we're looking for probably another $1,000 in donations. It's been slow. It's been a weird year. Maybe the first year going into next year, we'll be able to, to pick it up. We're, we're not in any hurry around here. It took us many years uh, to finally see the Well Project come to fruition, uh, which we were a good contributor to. We didn't contribute the biggest part of it, but we, but we contributed several thousand dollars, which is good for a little small-time operation like us. Um, and I know go- we got the numbers, so go-, go to laymanstermsradio.org, donate to the Men and Steel Project so we can uh, get this thing moving forward. Alright, so, uh, like I said, we're going to do Andy Stanley this week. Um, I've got a little, a few changes coming in here. We're going to see how it goes. Um, and uh, we'll maybe kind of announce more of, of where we're going with things starting next week. Uh, but but at any rate I want to I want to go back to our roots every once in a to give you guys just a nice solid sermon review and I just happened to come across this sermon just b- was made aware of it really this this past week in my research where Pastor Anley Stanley of North, North Point Church in Atlanta gave a gave a sermon about how we can solve all of our racial ills you know what 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 we as Christians should be doing uh in 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 r- racial reconciliation. He's a little late to the game on this, to be honest. Um the Southern Baptists are beating him to the punch on this in some ways. But it's a difficult subject. Um and it's just it just astonishes astonishes me how out of uh their depth even these mega church well informed type pastors tend to be. And that's really where where I think Stanley's coming from. I think he's just ignorant on these things. He really hasn't Spent the time researching them um, and discovering what it, what it is exactly he's talking about. He just hears things here and there and kind of runs with it. That's kind of what's going on here. Um, uh, that that would be my hope. But at the same time, I know Andy Stanley's a very very intelligent man. He's not stupid. Um, there, you know, stupid men don't build one of the largest mega churches in the United States or the world for that matter because they're stupid. <laughs> They're, they're smart, they see the winds of change, they know what's coming, and they, they know how to parlay that into the next wave of members coming into the church. So um, there's that very ill-gotten motive as well, which I hope he doesn't have, but at the same time, <laughs> he's a mega church pastor. So. We've got to kind of look at all that, but at any rate, you'll see how it unfolds as I evaluate this sermon um, that Andy Stanley gives called The Human Race, which is a response to the death of George Floyd in the hands of police custody, and we'll just see how it goes. Here we go.
1: Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Um, Today, we've hit pause on our regular format in light of the tragic events that have engulfed our nation. If, if you grew up in church, you may remember, um, you may remember this story. One of, one of the most perplexing narratives from the life of Jesus was his late arrival to the village of Bethany after hearing about the death of his friend Lazarus. You remember this? Uh, John tells us that when Jesus finally arrived, he asked to be taken to Lazarus' tomb, which was a cave. And when he got there, he paused and he wept. He stood in the pain of those around him before providing a solution. In fact, it was so emotional that the men and women who had come to mourn with Mary and Martha actually remarked on it. Here's what they said. They said, see how he loved him. Now, in, in some ways, that's what this moment is for us. This is the moment to pause in the pain the pain of the black community, the pain of the families directly impacted, um, George Floyd's family, uh, Ahmaud Arbery's family, uh, Breonna Taylor's family, the list goes on and on. The families whose lives have been upended by the looting. This is the moment to pause in the pain of our nation and to connect these current losses to the current of racism that has plagued our nation for so long. To pause and to feel it. And before we offer our solutions, to weep with those who weep, and to mourn with those who mourn—that's where empathy is born, and on occasion, that's actually where solutions are discovered. Now,
0: not a b- bad place for Pastor Stanley to start this discussion off. Unfortunately, he d- just didn't, simply didn't take it where Jesus. Uh, took this situation with with Lazarus. What what did what was Jesus weeping over? Of course, his friend had died, and everywhere everywhere we see in the New Testament where Jesus encounters death, he reverses it, including with Lazarus, the the, the widow at Nain, same thing, um, and even in his own uh, his own crucifixion and death, he reverses death and turns it to life. Um, Jesus hates death. God hates death and no matter this is where i would have taken it had i been pastor Stanley and use this passage to to say that no matter what side of the issue you might see however you might come at this however, whatever angle you might see it as um whether, whether it be this this is these are racist acts of police officers against black people these are racist acts of of white people against against black people in the case of amon arberry or whether you see something else where perhaps uh, george floyd had a at a checkered background of criminality he was in a, in a state of not, not not in the right state of mind when he was in, encountering these police officers so however whatever angle you take it take it our lord jesus hated the fact that, that george floyd died he hates death and that's that's really the the angle i would have come at it from because so whether whatever angle you take this as, this is the way I, I always try to think about these things. Is what if that would have been my son? No matter what his circumstances were, if he was if he was high on fentanyl, if he would had a checkered background and a past, if he would have died, if my son was killed, if he died, if he was murdered, let's say, even whatever angle you come at this, you would have this would have upset you, and that's how our, our loving heavenly Father looks at these situations. And, and so yes I agree that, that that we pause and we mourn death and then to talk about where you know where death comes from our sin and that sort of thing um, and then to offer solutions I think there's there's a place for solutions but unfortunately what I see lacking in most all of these discussions uh, surrounding race is the gospel uh, the fact that yes there are racist police officers yes we have a a uh, sordid background as a country when it comes to race. No question about that. Um, and that, yes, there are things that we need to do to correct situations, but the forgiveness of sins is never talked about. And unfortunately, Pastor Stanley's not going to talk about the forgiveness of sins in this talk. He's not going to bring up that issue. Um, because, for, for whatever reason. I, I'm not entirely sure why. I know he's, he's going to... He, try to remain extremely neutral in this sermon and not try to offend any side of it but that simply you know that you can go that route but that just doesn't that's not doing anything it's a pretty benign milk toast spineless way of approaching this i've yet to hear a pastor i think ever when they're talking about racial reconciliation talk about the forgiveness of sins the gospel that just is not a subject that's brought up. And I would have loved to see Pastor Stanley talk about that. I would, I would like to, him to talk about what is it that at the end of the day, what is it that frees us from the curse of death? And that is the gospel, the forgiveness of sins. And so, um, you want know, to talk about solutions. Uh, that, that might be a place to start with the gospel. Then we can talk about more. Uh, we can talk about, again, I'm a Lutheran, so we talk about law and gospel. But here's a place to lead with the gospel, and then maybe perhaps later to talk about, you know, practical solutions on the ground, which might encompass some sort of loving thy neighbor, which is law. Uh, but unfortunately, Pastor Stanley doesn't go here. He doesn't talk about really what G- what Jesus was weeping over in that situation was the fact that he hated death. God hates death. He sent his son. Jesus came and shrunk himself. The God Almighty of the universe, like I like to say, shrunk himself down into the womb of a virgin, was born, lived, taught, died, rose from the dead, and ascended to the right hand of the Father because he hated death so much. That is the solution to our problems, the gospel. And unfortunately, Pastor Stanley doesn't bring the gospel to bear on any of this. And he makes his first mistake right here would have been a perfectly appropriate passage to start with had he uh, seen what's going on here, but he doesn't. Um, and he's going to continue on to, you know, to just preach you know, this this kind of, well, I'm not going to go one streamer one extreme or another type of situation, which is fine. He wants to remain neutral. He doesn't want to offend anybody because that's, again, after all what secret sensitive churches try to do. We don't want to offend anybody because we've got to try to keep as many people coming in so at, at any rate um it's just unfortunate that that he did he didn't go there in a strong way because i think of of all the people oh. that, that could perhaps bring this kind of message that's needed in this type of situation it would be a guy like pastor stanley to say finally look you know the answer to all this is the gospel um and unfortunately he he simply uh doesn't doesn't do it uh, he only provides a a, a law answer um uh, and, and we'll see that as, as we go on. Let's continue.
1: I, I've heard people talk about how sad all of this makes them feel. But come on, sad is how we feel when something happens that doesn't really affect us personally. Something that's far away. This, sad is about somebody else. And I hope we can all agree that this is bigger than sadness. This affects all of us. And consequently, all of us have a role to play. Now, I know some people are sometimes uncomfortable with people like me leveraging the words of Dr. King, but come on, he said so much and he said it so well, and he goes right to the epicenter of our point. The reason this has to become personal for me and the reason this has to become personal for us is this. Injustice anywhere, you'll remember this quote, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So for us to move past what we're experiencing as a nation with nothing more than a bad case of sad, is to miss the significance of this moment. And it's to miss the opportunity of this moment as well. He goes on and he writes this. He says, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Now, this is true now more than ever. It's true now more than ever because what happened in South Georgia was seen by people in North Dakota and what happened in Minneapolis has been seen by people Well, people all over the world. And then he concludes with this, whatever affects, whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. In other words, there's no them. There's just us. So sad isn't enough. And I certainly don't have to tell my black brothers and sisters that, right? You aren't sad. You're mad. And understandably so. You're scared. You're scared because... Well, you didn't see a 46-year-old stranger with a knee on his neck. You saw you. You saw your father, your brother. Um, I have two African-American friends who recently became fathers for the first time. They saw their sons. They saw the death of progress. They saw the death of hope. They saw the death of, well, maybe my kids will grow up in a different kind of America, a better America. And if that doesn't affect me personally, if that doesn't make me more than a little sad, Then I'm a hypocrite to even call them friends. Now,
0: here's the problem with that take on the situation is he is saying all black people are this way. That's one of the fundamental problems with how we've approached this whole matter from soup to nuts. This group feels this way definitively. If you're black, you're mad and you're scared. And you see your sons this way. And what is he basing this on? An anecdotal experience with his, with his black friends. You know what my uh, black friends who are truck drivers say about that? You'd be surprised what they would say about a guy like George Floyd. Might shock you how they felt about that. And you know what they might tell their sons about that? Hey, hey, don't get involved in criminal activity and you won't end up like that. That's what some of my black friends are saying. Alright, that doesn't mean that that's the definitive answer and, or the definitive uh, response or reaction by folks who uh, feel some sort of emotional response to these types of situations. But the problem is, is that we, we like to stereotype. We like to categorize things. See, we as humans like to do that. We like to shift things and categorize things in nice, neat little boxes where this, this whole group feels this way. And if we don't empathize with that, if we don't sympathize with that, then we're out of touch. That's false. That's false. And later on, Pastor Stanley's going to go on to, to, to encourage us to develop relationships with those who don't look like us. Okay, fair enough. I like doing that. I enjoy doing that. I have lots of friends who don't look like me. Uh, but that doesn't cut it. What, what what we need to realize is that all of us are individuals and all of us respond and react to this differently as Christians, non-Christians, whatever the case may be. And some of those responses are appropriate and some of them are inappropriate. Um, and, you know, as, as friends to these individuals, Sometimes, when I have inappropriate responses or they have inappropriate responses, then we may offer a correction in friendship and brotherhood. See that you know that's kind of how this sort of thing works. Anyway, the point being, Pastor Stanley is stereotyping here. He's stereotyping, um, and a lot, a lot of our nation. Is doing that right now. I mean, th- this used to be a bad thing. This used to be say all black people are like this, and we're going to see Pastor Stanley do this throughout. And that's just false. That's not true. Not all black people are this way. You want to you want to dig into the data and say, well, this percent by this polling data, this percentage of black people reacted this way to this situation. Okay, we can say that if you want to delve into that kind of in, into that kind of data, but but to what end? To say that, well, the obvious response is to treat them as a group. Because the majority of them feel this way, this is how we should respond to it. Maybe that's the right answer, maybe it's not. But what I think I've observed in, in, in my research of, of this topic, and it is extensive going back decades at this point, is that responding, it, responding to it in a stereotypical way in a group way. Even if we have some sort of data that says, "Oh, most black people respond to blah 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 this way. Most Asian people respond to this situation this way. Most Latino people respond to this situation this way." It's not helpful. And then to try to come up with solutions based on some stereotypical uh, response that we might have, that's not, you know, that's not going to solve the problem. People need to be treated as as individuals. Um, that's really what it what I, I want to make this, this point clear is that when we take this group approach to this, you know, black people are mad and scared and that that's not helpful. So when I run into, you know, James, you know, driving heavy, heavy haul steel with me the other day, I can assume he's mad and scared. Well, just so happens James isn't mad and scared. He's annoyed at these situations that keep recurring over and over again and people who keep using black people as political footballs. That's what he's pissed off about. So you can't can't take Pastor Stanley's anecdotal information here, his stereotypical information here, and use that as a predicate to how you're going to deal with people of that group going forward. That's stupid and ignorant. It's not helpful. And for Pastor Stanley's thought of, I mean, he's... First of all, started off off base in the first place with his utilization of the Lazarus account and Jesus raising him from the dead. We already talked about that, but now he's going even further, and he will continue to get further and further off base with this. He's completely out of his depth on this, and he shouldn't have even touched it, in my opinion. All right, let's continue on.
1: This topic is a minefield for me. It's a minefield for us. Um, but that's not the case for every pastor or every church. And you know that. If we were, if we leaned far right or if we lean far left, this would, you would be the choir and I would be preaching to the choir. I would be preaching to the choir to a chorus of amens and applause, but we're not that kind of church. I've been to my share of, you know, far right leaning churches and churches that lean far left. And it's so much easier for those pastors. I mean, everybody pretty much agrees on everything and everybody else, well, everybody else is just going to hell, right? But that's not who you are. And that's not who we are. And besides, come on, the truth is rarely found in the extremes. You know that. It's found where the circles overlap in the middle, the messy middle. Dr. King told us that as well. In fact, he modeled that. He died in part because of that. The messy The messy, messy middle, that's where the brutal, uncomfortable facts all come together. But it's also where problems can be solved. But it is so uncomfortable. It's so much easier to retreat to the echo chamber of extremes where everybody agrees, but nothing is ever accomplished. In the messy middle, we're confronted with uncomfortable facts. And by the way, facts aren't fair, but facts don't care.
0: All right, fair enough. Facts aren't fair. Facts don't care. Truth isn't found in the messy middle. Pastor, this is unbelievable. Sometimes, especially how Pastor Stanley just just cuts God's word out of this whole thing. The truth is not found in the messy middle where the circles overlap. That's what our culture, our politics teach us. Truth is found in God's word. That's what Pastor Stanley should have said there. We don't find truth in the messy middle. Most of the time, the messy middle is just is just you. Again, this is where Pastor Stanley's trying to go with this. He didn't want to offend anybody. This is what mega church uh, ministerial philosophy does. This is their philosophy of ministry. Let's let's be so itchy, squishy, um, malleable that we don't offend anybody that we attract as many people as possible and offend the, the least number of people we possibly can. This is the entire this is the entire philosophy. And it, it it a it doesn't work for sure and b it's not true. We find truth in God's word, not in the messy middle with the hard facts. All right? Just just wanted to point that out uh, that that's where Stanley should have come in and said, "Look, we don't find truth here. We find truth in God's word." that's where we find truth and that's where we have to stand that's the foundation that's the rock as christ said where we stand and we put forth truth and again part of the truth is we have the gospel the forgiveness of sins the the, the defeat of the last enemy death that's where we find this but again sadly pastor stanley's not going to give us any of that he's going to give us the world's way of trying to trying to solve problems where hey let's all kind of come together and where we overlap let's try to agree in there and 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 move forward and that's you know that's just that's just us humans you know kind of overlapping in in some agreement on how things should move forward and that's that certainly is not what should be preached from a christian pulpit that might be what we have to do out in the world sometimes i get it But it's not what what should be preached from, from the Christian pulpit. And unfortunately that's what Pastor Stanley has done here.
1: Here's an uncomfortable fact. White people fear black men. That's not fair, but it's true. What makes this even more unfair is that in the vast majority of cases, our fear of black men is in no way connected to our personal experience. And if that wasn't unfair enough, study after study has shown, you know this, that fear of black men doesn't even spring primarily from racism. It's deeper than that. And that's not fair to black people or white people. Um, Most black men have experienced what some people refer to as the fearful gaze, the fearful gaze of white men and women. Then on the other side of the equation is this, the majority of African Americans in our country, they don't trust the criminal justice system, do you? I mean, you fear the police, that's not fair. Facts don't care. It's not fair to police officers with spotless records who risk their lives every day for people they don't even know, for people who in some instances don't even like them. I was a journalism major in college and during the murdered and missing uh, children chapter of our city's history, uh, some of you remember that, As part of an assignment, I had an opportunity to ride along with a black city of Atlanta police officer on the 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. shift. So we were together all night. And honestly, I was pretty much scared the entire night. Not of him, but we went from one domestic violence case to another all night long. And I saw firsthand, just a, a little bit, I saw firsthand the challenge of trying to play by the rules when confronting people who don't even know there are rules. So White people fear black men, the majority of black people don't trust the police, most police handle themselves professionally, and then there's this. Whereas our- All
0: right, I gotta stop him right there. The majority of black people, the majority of white people fear black people? Where is he getting that? Um, I mean, okay, so I can speak personally. I don't fear black people. I'm, I have a deep, deep respect for black people Latino people. I I mean how how can you refute that? You can say, no, you don't. Okay, well prove that I don't. Well, you just don't realize you, you have it you have an innate fear of black people. You can make that assertion, but you can't prove that. Where where is he getting this? I mean that that is that is one of the weakest points I've ever heard made about race relations in my entire life. That is completely inane and backed up by no data whatsoever. That most white that white people Across the board, white people across the board fear black people. Is he speaking for himself? Because if he's speaking for himself, okay, fine. And, you know, Pastor Stanley, just tell us you're afraid of black people. As a white man, I'm afraid of black people. I have this innate fear of black people. And I, and I, and he might go on to say something like, "I bet you a lot of you share that that kind of fear." That would be a valid statement. But white people fear black people. That's ridiculous. And he has absolutely no data. In fact, I am aware of the data on how b- most black people feel, feel uh, about, about police officers. They don't fear them. They want them in their neighborhoods because their neighborhoods are so ravaged by crime. I mean, there, there, there's been ton of re- a ton of research done on this. Um, Yeah, that I, I mean, what he's putting forth here is... It, it, two false premises that he's going to base the rest of this entire talk off of which are extremely offensive. And, and and so unhelpful. I mean to to tell his black parishioners that all of the white people in his congregation fear them? That's that is a an egregious and untrue thing to tell your black parishioners. So now these black parishioners are gonna walk out of the church service or what whatever. They don't even have church services down there anymore. Stanley's seen to that. But then now they're gonna walk out on the street and, and look at every white person they see with a fishy eye thinking they're looking at them with some sort of fear. I mean, that's this is this is unbelievable where he's going with this. And the, and then and then on the flip side of that, that most most black people or black people fear police. That's just that you can't support that with any amount of data so he's just he's just throwing these tropes out there um and it's these are not helpful these are not forwarding anything he he, he is again I'm going to say this again he is out of his depth on this thing he should, never should have touched it and if he was going to touch it he yeah, I, I don't know what he could have, what else he could have done with it, but he he is gone on this one. He shouldn't have he shouldn't have ever done this. He maybe should have skipped over it and just said, "Hey, look, we um, just want to let everybody know um, we are praying for the unrest in our country uh, that these situations would get resolved. It deeply grieves us. We don't really know um, what the solutions are." Uh, and we're not going to offer any solutions here today. We just want to acknowledge that we are grieving over these situations and we're praying uh, for a peaceful resolution that God would would extend his hand and his grace upon our country right now and um, would would heal our land. And, and that's what we're praying for on with our sermon, current sermon series. That's what he should have done because he is out of his league on this thing and he's making a complete fool of himself. Um, again, like I said in the in the intro, um, I just I just caught up with this. I wish I would have caught it while it was uh, still kind of a... Well, it still is a subject, but um, evangelical pastors, if you don't know what you're talking about this, stay away from it. Just stay away from it. Just pray that God would extend his hand of grace and help us. Um, otherwise, you don't have much business uh, uh, talking about this, either side of it, especially from the pulpit. We're here to be preaching God's word law and gospel and and that's about it that's that's what you're supposed to do that's going to be the best solution for you message to the pastors out there all right let's continue on
1: fear of black men is rarely if ever connected to personal experience if you're an african-american you know this your mistrust of the criminal justice system is connected to personal experience us white folks we fear what might happen you fear what has happened And then as bad as all of that is, that's not even the worst of it. The really bad news is this, statistics, data, sermons, protests, none of that will ever change any of those cultural realities. Telling the black community how many times the criminal justice system has worked in their favor, has worked in your favor, that does nothing to diminish your mistrust, does it? Underscoring how quickly a police officer was fired and then arrested, that doesn't address your fear. For the same reason that reminding white folks how many more times they've been hurt by, ripped off by, deceived by white people than black people, that doesn't erase our fear of black men. If you're afraid of flying, you get this, come on. Data, statistics, lectures, none of that helps, does it? I mean, being told that statistically, you are safer in the air than you are on 285, that doesn't erase your fear of flying, and here's why because facts and data rarely replaces fear and facts don't build trust. The only thing that has the potential to replace deep-seated fear and distrust is experience. We can't talk our way. We can't law our way. We can't talk our way or law our way out of this mess. We, we can't pie chart and graph, you know, bar chart our way out of this. The, the only way forward is we have to experience something different. We have to experience our way forward. Um, my friend, um, John Blake, who is a journalist in and- Italy. All
0: right, now that might be a good point. We have to experience something different. What, what are we experiencing right now in the United States? Viral videos of particularly black men being abused or being killed in the custody of the police. That's what we're experiencing right now. What does the data show? To, to Pastor Stanley's point, what does the data show? That those incidents are a statistical anomaly. That they virtually don't exist. I could lay out all the statistics statistics for you, but I I've done the math. And the chances of an unarmed black man dying in police custody... Or an interaction with a police officer compared to the amount of police interactions in this country is below one, well below one percent, actually below a tenth of a percent, is somewhere in the hundredths of percentiles. It's, it's, it just statistically just doesn't happen. Just doesn't happen. It's just like flying, you know, it's like flying. We're, we're, We're afraid when we fly. But statistically, we are safer in the air than we are on the ground. Okay. And experience can't show us that. We can hey I've flown my whole life and I've been in no plane accidents. I've driven my whole life and I've been in a few car accidents where there have been injuries. Yeah. Experience shows you that. But what is America experiencing right now? These viral videos that don't represent the data going around and then guys like Stanley promoting them as if they're fact or somehow. Something that we should embrace instead of people saying, wait a second. This yes, here's this video of this, and let's let's put it out there for all to see and let the media promote it. Because if it bleeds, it leads. You know, maybe maybe there's some room for criticism there, Pastor Stanley. To say that hey, if you know a journalist, if you have this much influence in American culture, Pastor Stanley, with the largest megachurch, arguably, in the United States, maybe you might have a voice in saying to our nation's media, this is not a good idea for you guys to be promulgating um, this kind of experience. Why is it that everything we see about the police is negative when the overwhelming majority of what the police do is positive? couldn't Pastor Stanley come out with a message to say hey media, you're not helping here and by the way congregation should be uh, suspicious of what the media is doing, should look at it with a critical eye because this is not what the vast majority of, of black America is experiencing and what's being brought across to you, I mean there's just so much here He's he's again, he's just out of his depth on this deal Um, you know, just to say okay Yes, experience is a a powerful thing. Because when we flip on YouTube and we see a black man with with a police officer and and his knee is in his neck until he's dead, that's horrifying. Everybody's horrified by that. And justified or not, when you see police use of force on a video, that's going to be disturbing to you. Because, again, we in this day and era, are so sheltered from any kind of violence, Anytime we see that sort of thing, it's going to disturb us. And then when you add these layers of, oh, the police were racist to do this. Again, well, not again, but let me put this point out there. There's not one shred of evidence in the George Floyd case or any of these other cases. Take them down the list. This this, this litany of people that we're supposed to say their names about. There's not one shred of evidence that any of these people involved in these situations were racially motivated. Not one shred, not one bit of evidence. It's just its just not there. But because you have police officers and a black body, it's automatically assumed it was racist. All right, now where's that coming from? What's the problem there? And the thing of it is, this is where Stanley should have just said, we're praying for the unrest we grieve with those who grieve. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ hates death and we do too. Um, no matter what the circumstances are. If that was your son, you would be grieving and we should grieve with that no matter what no, no matter you know my son Isaac, if he went out and he was a drug addict and he started c- committing crime and he somehow somehow ended up dead in the hands of, of the police, I would be angry and sad and yeah, you would be that way and we should grieve with those people. But to add this layer of racism on top of it um, is not helpful, and and Stanley's just fueling that here. That's all he's doing. Sadly, um, when again this is this is one he definitely should have taken a pass on because it's so complicated. And for her, for him to try to address this in a 35-minute sermon on a Sunday morning was it, is so ill-advised. I can't even begin to describe how ill-advised it was uh, for him. Yeah, for him to try to come in here with solutions. Um, We're going to spend our time doing this uh, and we're not going to spend any more time on it. It's just um, you can go listen to it. And then, you know, at the end, we might get to some of this. But he goes to his usual trope of, well, you know, our command is to, to love like Jesus loved and blah, 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 stuff we've covered in the past. Where Stanley doesn't define love by the Ten Commandments, where he talks about, "Hey, you can follow uh, all of the Ten Commandments and still be a racist." No, you can't. And maybe I'll try to fast forward to part of that before we conclude here, just just to get it in. But this this was this was not helpful, Pastor Stanley. Um, if you ever hear this, this again, pray for it, pray against it, pray that our nation would be healed by God's gracious hand, but you are out of your league here, son. All right, let's go a little more.
1: Lana recently wrote an article, and this is the title of the article. The title was, there's one epidemic we may never find a vaccine for, fear of black men in public spaces. Now that's not a sentence in the article, that's actually the title of the article. But in the article, he writes this. He says, I believe another way to fight fear of black men is through exposure, or our word, experience. Then he says this, until more white people actually live among and befriend black people, this fear will persist. So, you know this maybe from personal experience. The, the white people who have all but silenced their fear of black men are the white people who have befriended black men or have been befriended by black men and their families. Sure enough, in communities where police departments create opportunities for people to interact with and to come to see police officers as fathers and mothers and neighbors, trust is built. Fear is diminished. I mean, come on, watching the police and the National Guard lock arms with protesters this week was powerful, wasn't it? It was their way of saying, we agree that a grave injustice has been done. We fail to police ourselves. We have more in common than not. They, they were saying that what, what breaks your heart has broken ours. We are more than sad. Your, your anger is justified. Your voice has been heard. So with all of that as a backdrop, I, I want to ask you a question here. Here's the question I want us to wrestle with. And here's the question that I want us to wrestle with, not just today, but every day. If experience if experience, if our personal experience is the way forward, as it relates to the variables that you have control over, how do people who don't look like you, experience you? If experience is the way forward, and it is, how do people, when it comes to the things that you can control, how do people who don't look like you, experience you? Not what do you think about people who don't look like you, not how do you feel about people who don't look like you, and not what do you believe about people who don't
0: so, Pastor Stanley, you're you're asking us to somehow control how other people experience us. Now, granted, we, we can behave in certain ways that that will elicit a certain response from others in in some certain way. But at the end of the day, um, what we're taught in Holy Scripture is that we're ultimately responsible for how we respond to somebody. Yeah? I mean, if well, let's put just put it in there. If a black man is rude to me at the fuel pumps at a truck stop, how am I experiencing that person? Yeah. Are they putting a lot of effort into uh, being careful about how I experience them as somebody else that, do, that doesn't look like me? Probably not. They're probably not putting a lot of effort into that. And so what 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 is then my response? Is my response to say, "Oh, well, hey, this black guy treated me terribly at this pump, so black people just might be this way." Is that the response? No. <laughs> I'm in control of my own response to how people treat me. I'm not in control. I could I could be the most genuine, uh, non-racist, you know, whatever to somebody else. And their response would be, hey, that's a white boy. He's a cracker. Might be that way. Vice versa. Might be the response. You know, a black man could be the most responsible person, treat people the way they should be treated. And a white guy could come along and say, oh, he's just, he's just a black guy. Doesn't know what's, you know, he's just an N-word. Doesn't know any better. You're not in control of how people are going to perceive you. <laughs> this is ridiculous uh, you know try as you might to impress people or to get them to respond to you in a certain way that's never going to happen what you are in control of is how you respond to others no matter how they treat you that's what Holy Scripture teaches us that it's our responsibility to respond in Christian kindness to, to, no matter how we're treated that's how Christ responded if you remember hanging on the Christ, Lord forgive them. They don't know what they do. It, it, it is it is incumbent on us as Christians to respond in a Christian way, according to the commands of Holy Scripture. It, it it is it is beyond our purview of control to determine how somebody is going to respond to us. So this point is completely inane. And blank, and carries no weight. And if you follow this, you're going. This is not going to work. What you can do is control yourself. That's what Holy Scripture teaches. Self-control is all over the Pauline corpus. Self-control is a fruit, is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's part of what it means to be a Christian. We control ourselves and how we respond to others no matter how unfairly or unkindly or kindly or whatever else they might treat us. It is our responsibility to respond with the love of Christ no matter what. Um, And, incidentally, again, Stanley is stereotyping here. He's saying this is mostly on white people to do this. To, to live in such a way that, the, that those that don't look like us will respond to us in a certain way. That's the undertone here. And Don't tell me it's not. He's not thinking about, he's not preaching to black people here, saying, hey, black people, you need to behave in a certain way so that white people will respond to you positively. If he, if that's what he's implying, uh, I, first of all, I don't think that's true. Second of all, if that's what he's saying, he should come out and say it. Otherwise he's gutless. So this is completely inane, continues to show that he's out of his depth here. And he did, th- on this point, he sh- certainly shouldn't be listened to. Now, I'm going to try to, yeah, th- this just kind of goes on like this. It's a, it's a ridiculous sermon. He never should have done it. He's out of his depth. And this isn't going to solve anything. It's, in fact, it's going to make uh, matters worse. I'm going to fast forward on to uh, to one point I want to bring out here, which is talking about this you know this theme of his where we don't follow the 10 commandments, and you can be a racist when you follow the 10 commandments, and so on and so forth. It's ridiculous, and uh, that's probably the point we're going to end on here because um, while well, I'm glad I came across this and can warn you all about it, um, and warn you pastors, not to this is not your area, you're out of your lane here. If you dedicate a sermon to, to, to preaching on these subjects, you're just um, 99.9% of the time. That I've seen pastors try to preach on this, whether, you know, just across the board, you're just out of your lane. You're not, this is not your job. Your job is to take a passage of scripture and exposit that passage of scripture to your congregation. And yes, where cultural and political things apply, bring, the, bring those to bear, but that's not the main thrust of what you're trying to do. You're trying to bring the gospel to bear here, and Stanley just completely skips over that. In this entire sermon, he doesn't talk about the gospel. He doesn't talk about the forgiveness of sins. Not one point in this entire sermon does he talk about this idea where, hey, say this white guy comes at you like a jerk and you're a black man. What do you do about that? Blame it on the white guy? Or do you say, forgive him for he doesn't know what he's doing? He's an ignorant fool. Lord, have mercy upon him. May he, may his eyes be open. You pray for that person to see the truth of the gospel. No, that's not a solution for Stanley here, sadly. Anyway, let's uh, let's try to, to finish up with this this one point, and then uh, we'll call it a day on this horrible, probably the worst Andy Stanley sermon I've ever seen.
1: And this is certainly not original with me. It is not enough. It is not enough. Not to be a racist. It is not enough not to be a racist. Non-racist is not the goal. Being non-racist does nothing to address racism. Practically speaking, it amounts to indifference toward racism. If you're a Jesus follower, if you're a Jesus follower, you must be, we must be anti-racism. Just like you're anti-child abuse. Think about it. You, You wouldn't walk by somebody abusing a child and think to yourself, I'm not a child abuser. You you wouldn't walk by and think to yourself, I'm not a child abuser and say nothing or do nothing. We must be anti-racism like we're anti-bullying, like we're anti-voter fraud, like we're anti-whatever it is that gets you worked up. I mean, think about it this way if you're a parent. As a parent, I wasn't content to simply be non-liar. I was anti-lie. I did not put up with it in my children and our family, right? I I wasn't content with being um, non-disrespectful to Sandra. I was anti-disrespect to Sandra. There was zero tolerance for disrespecting Sandra in our household. When you are anti-something, you address it when you see it. Uh, You speak up when you hear it. And to carry somebody's burdens, come on, to carry somebody's burdens is to get up underneath the weight of their burden. And when we decide to carry the burden of anyone who has been discriminated against for any reason, we won't be silent because now it's our burden. But I gotta warn you, speaking from personal experience, I'll own this, whether you're white or brown or black, when you shift from non-racist, To anti-racist, you may discover something disturbing about you. You may discover a racist in the mirror. You may discover subtle versions of racism that have been hiding, even masquerading as virtues buried in the recesses of your heart. Racism, racism you were completely unaware of until you decided to say something, correct something, or apologize for something. For some of us, the truth is, when it comes to our hearts, racism will never be rooted out until we are willing to speak out. And honestly, there's probably a little bit of racism in all of us, and who knows, perhaps it will never be completely erased from our hearts, but it must certainly be erased from how people experience us. So that's the first thing. Number two.
0: All right, that's <clears throat> that's what we'll end on. I'm not going to go back over Stanley's dispensationalism and how, you know, you can be you can be a, a perfect racist and still follow the Ten Commandments. He says that at one point in the sermon, which is ridiculous. Um, I want to give Stanley the benefit of the doubt here that he doesn't know what in the world he's talking about about being anti-racist, but right now he sounds like Ibram X. Kendi book I'm working through myself right now um, which essentially states that any system that causes any kind of inequality among groups or whatever the case may be is racist. And to be an anti-racist you've got to be against those systems. I am hoping that's not where Pastor Stanley's going. I hope that his congregation is aware enough of these types of uh, tropes to challenge Pastor Stanley on it and if he is if that's the approach he's taking if he's going to be a woke anti-racist like Ibrahim X. Kendi and that's the kind of congregation he wants to run uh, that uh, we battle against that because for reasons I cannot delve into right now at this particular time and place Ibram X. Kendi that, that approach is um, it has nothing to do with racism it has to do with politics and your brand of politics and your approach to civilization um, uh, this is genuinely disturbing what I'm hearing Pastor Stanley here say, kind of glad I didn't run across it when he, when this came out because I've been able to kind of digest everything that's gone on uh, but I also know, giving Pastor Stanley, again, the benefit of the doubt that he's not stupid. He knows what's going on in culture. He's aware of Abram X. Kendi. He's a, uh, aware of his book, anti How to Be an Anti-Racist. And I don't know if he's trying to, to slip this into his congregation. We'll see. This was kind of a one-off type of sermon. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure this is something he's going to continue to kind of Maybe I mean, that's how Pastor Stanley does these things. He kind of eases certain topics into his... He's very adept at this. Uh, But he seems like he's being fairly straightforward here in introducing this Ibram X. Kendi style of anti-racism into his congregation, which, bottom line, has nothing to do with race and everything to do with politics, forms of government um and that sort of thing so at any rate um and yeah just to hear him talk about how when you start doing this you'll start to see that you there's a racist in the mirror there um yeah just I don't have much comment here this is one of the most disturbing sermons I've heard from pastor Stanley uh Probably rivaling that would be, you know, uh, some of these sermons that talk about how Christians created the Bible type of sermons, which are enormously disturbing. Uh, But this one, but this one ranks right up there. And, and it's sad. This is how he chose to approach this. Uh, Because being anti-racism is a cultural trope right now. And I would be shocked if he's not aware of that trope. Which says that being anti-racist is, you know, um, it, it is to be against our system of government, the uh, Western civilization really as a whole. Um, and if Pastor Stanley's going there, then um, this this is kind of how he approaches these sorts of things. He's very subtle about this sort of thing. That maybe he's starting to say, yeah. You know, this is uh, this is the direction we need to go. He's starting to smell the winds of change, which is which is in itself disturbing because Pastor Stanley's a pretty good judge of where things are going in this culture. I mean, he's there's a reason why he is the pastor of the largest mega church in America. Uh, it's because he can smell the cultural winds of change and and beat them to the punch. He's done a great job of that over the years, and that's that's why he's got the biggest church in my opinion uh, in in America. He's a charismatic leader. Uh, and and speaks with a voice that's that's persuasive, and and the reason why has been he's been able to do that do that with with those couple of assets is because he can, he's he's got this stuff beat to the punch, and so uh, this might be the introduction to some things. We'll follow very closely. We keep a sharp eye. But at any rate, we've got to cut it off for this week. Um, please do continue to give to the Men of Steel project, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to in layman's terms you.